Jane Eyre was just sort of everything about it appealed to me, like the the romance and Jane's character and her growth. And something happened where I just I loved it. I started reading it, rereading it, different chapters. Oh, I want to read this part. I want to see the scene again. Personal now because <laughs> I don't know. There's a there's a there's an interview that he gave for Rochester where his take on Rochester was basically he's a trash uh, man and (laughs) I was just like okay well you don't clearly don't get the character and you don't care to so hello and welcome to care so much I'm so excited about today's guest Darlene is an amazing enthusiast for a topic that I am also pretty enthusiastic about, which is the story Jane Eyre in all its different forms. She has a podcast called Jane Eyre. She also has Instagram and Twitter. She has some blogs. And then there's also an amazing Facebook group. Did you make that? I did start it. Yeah, I did. (laughs) That is also called Jane Eyre Files, but the podcast is with an F and the group is with a PH. And we actually got connected from my other podcast, um, Air Buds, I do with my co-host Piper Cleveland, and we talk about Charlene, I'm going to stop monologuing about you (laughs) and tell us how you got into Jane Eyre. Well, I, I, first of all, I love the term enthusiast because I, you know, I'm a fan of a lot of things, but Jane Eyre has always really been close to me. And I do think of myself as an enthusiast as like a, a, a different level. Mm-hmm. of just uh, obsession, I guess it would be. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I read Jane Eyre when I was 15 in high school. And it was sort of a moment when I was, I, I've always loved reading and I kind of wanted to uh, read more classics. I had read Tom Sawyer and I really loved that book. Like just the depth of the, of the storytelling was different from like Nancy Drew, which I was reading a lot mm-hmm. of and a lot of those like, like more chapter mysteries and things. And um, so yeah, I, I picked up Jane Eyre and I remember starting it and, uh, I was at, I, I remember start, starting it as I was waiting for my friend to get, uh, to finish changing from our tennis class. And <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that was like my thing of like, I'll just, you know, I have two minutes. I'm going to start reading a book. And, um, and Jane Eyre was just sort of the, everything, everything about it appealed to me, like the, the romance and Jane's character and her growth and um, something happened where I just, I loved it. I started reading it, rereading it. I would read like different chapters, like just, oh, I want to read this part. I want to see the scene again. And after that, it turned into, well, there's adaptation. So let me watch some of these films and Mm -hmm. I go to my local library and uh, it would just, yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. (laughs) That's so spectacular. That's, um, I feel like high school us would have been really good friends because I was also the girl who always had a book with me. Right. <laughs> I yes. would, I had a big purse so that I could have a book with me. And so <laughs> I'd go to like the mall with my family and I'd shop for like 10 minutes and then I'd find a bench and read. Like, yes, was... definitely. The mall was a great place to read. Because <laughs> this is before if we're, I was, I think we're about the same age. So this was before everybody had cell phones everywhere. Yes. So you had to have a book to have something to do. Right, right. For, for some people who may be listening, and this feels more likely on this podcast than our other podcasts, who maybe don't know the story of Jane Eyre, just high level, quick hits. We are going to spoil the story of Jane Eyre, by the way. Uh, that's what I was thinking. Oh, if you haven't read it, you shouldn't know the, the big twist. <laughs> but what is the story of Jane Eyre for those who maybe haven't heard it before? It is an old, it's, you know, it's 175 years old. So obviously we can discuss spoilers, but, uh, you know, <laughs> Jane Eyre is a Bildungsroman and a Gothic romance. So that Bildungsroman mm. is, is a term, is a German term for like a story that shows how a character grows morally and psychologically from childhood. So it begins with Jane's unhappy childhood with her aunt and her cousins who really don't care for her. And then they send her to school where it's more important that the children read their Bible and pray than get nourishing food and warmth, you know, those mm-hmm. things. Uh, and then Jane survives that, becomes a teacher there, and decides to see more of the world by becoming a governess in a fine house where she falls in love with the master of the house and then finds out on their wedding day, this is a twist, that he is married to an insane woman who he keeps in the attic. 
Uh, so Jane runs away, finds a home with a clergyman and his sisters who turn out to be her cousins. That's actually another twist right there. <laughs> and then Jane inherits money from an uncle, declines to marry her cousin who needs someone to help out with his missionary work, returns to Rochester after his wife is dead and Rochester has lost a hand and an eye. And that's a happy ending. <laughs> it, one of my favorite things is a speed run of Jane Eyre because it's so wild. You guys do it on your on your podcast, and it's fun. <laughs> yes, and it's such a it's such a wild story, and it's easy to forget how wild it is when you spend as much time with it yeah. as you and I do. And when you pa- pack it all in together like that, the response for people who don't know about it, it was my first response is like, <laughs> "What do you, What do you mean? That's crazy. You mean you like Rochester? What is that? About? Right? Like, let's <laughs> rewind." <laughs> So it's it's full of this beautiful language and this amazing storytelling, and as you mentioned, that depth of story. So yes. I have lots of reasons why Jane Eyre is special to me. I am so curious as to why this story is so special to you. I, I've thought about that, of course, of like, why why is this my favorite book and why does it resonate with me so strongly? And I heard, I remember hearing something on a podcast actually about how they were talking, obviously, you know, ASMR. Um, which mm-hmm. is for hearing. And they said there's also visual ASMR, you know, for other senses where you kind of get those pleasurable sensations. And I mm. think sometimes like Jane Eyre just kind of triggers all the right parts of my brain and everything that I love to read about stories. is kind of my ASMR books <laughs> nice. where, yeah, because I just, I do love, I guess it's also like a Gothic romance, though, those kind of tropes, the, those really appeal yeah. to me if I read them in like in a synopsis of a book, I'm like, okay, I'm going to pick the, pick that up. But yeah, I don't know. The, the romantic tension is perfect to me. Uh, mm-hmm. The suspense of the mystery at Thornfield. And, and then, you know, we have a, a female protagonist that I really identify with on multiple levels, you know, cause she's, you know, she's reserved like me. I'm, I'm a little shy and she loves books and she loves learning new things and she follows her heart and does, you know, what she, what needs to be done no matter what. So I just, I feel like she's very aspirational, uh, too very inspiring so I I don't know I guess I guess that is why I feel this the story is so special to me yeah you talked about tropes that you really liked that you look, kind of look for in gothic literature and gothic romance what are some of those that stand out to you that you're like I love this in Jane Eyre and I love it in other books as well well I always love romantic tension where you know they you know that they love each other but you don't know how they're going to get together and if there's also a little bit of mystery or suspense something brewing that might keep them apart. Forbidden romance, I guess. All the famous kind of gothic novels like Dracula and Anne Radcliffe, like her books, they're, they're always so much fun to read. Daphne du Maurier, who wrote Rebecca, like those kinds of stories really appeal to me. I think those are some of a lot of people's favorite tropes out of these books is mm-hmm. that forbidden romance, there's something about that that's... Yeah, a lot of people focus on it. Yeah, there's so many layers to that, too, with this relationship, where there's the like, was it more okay at the time that he was her boss and she was oh, 19? Right. Um, and then also the, I get hung up all the time on a question that I ask frequently, is Rochester a good person? You wonder, like, you know, sort of like like Twilight, Edward Cullen, like, is, is he mm. a good kind of boyfriend yeah. to have? You know, probably not in real yeah, life. Yeah, I would say no. Yeah. <laughs> But in the book, you know, it's really exciting and fun to read. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's sort of, you know, I don't want to equate Rochester with Edward Cullen because, you know, Rochester's not a vampire. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of a level. <laughs> there's a little different. But I, I don't know. I, I do love Ro- Rochester. I feel like he has like a, this ideal male romantic protagonist uh, to me, I guess, because he's, you know, very passionate and brooding, humorous with a like sarcastic wit and just intelligent commanding. It's just, it's a great kind of, well, the Byronic hero aspect to mm-hmm. him that I, I find really appealing as a, you know, to read about. And obviously, you know, you don't always want to date that kind of person. You know, my <laughs> husband is nothing like Rochester in that sense. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I, I, whether or not he's a good person, you know, you just, you got, I guess that really comes down to how he treats Bertha. And Mm -hmm. I know that there's a lot of talk about Bertha as a sort of a, um, as a victim of Rochester, Mm -hmm. which it doesn't feel very true. It it feels like like a modern viewpoint, because I think Charlotte Bronte at that time didn't mean for that to be the case where, you know, I don't know, Bertha, 
Bertha as a character is described by Rochester, but you know, through through that, he, she's described as like selfish, entitled, unchaste, and and cruel. And you mm-hmm. know, it's not really a person that I want to be besties with, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and this is all before she was deemed insane. You know, so I just. I think that it's interesting that she has become this sort of feminist symbol in the book when Mm -hmm. she doesn't seem to really be the sort of ideal kind of person that you'd like to get to know. But obviously, you know, mental health back then is not what it is today and understanding of it, I mean. So it's like Charlotte didn't really think, think of those sort of implications. Well, and how could she possibly have 150 years ago? Like, yeah, that's... Because we talk a lot about the fact that there wasn't a good other option. Like, that's true. Yeah. So that's, that's what like was the other choice. He was like, it's, it's, you know, as I understand it, it's better to have kept her, you know, with her own attendant than put her in asylum where she probably would have been very much neglected and mis- and abused and not taken care of at all. So, you know, it's not, it's, yeah. it's not an ideal situation either way. But yeah. And I, I think sort of speaking of Jane as, or Jane Eyre as this, story that exists very clearly in 1847 when Charlotte Bronte published this novel Mm -hmm. and then is also sort of this timeless character. There's so many stories that we love that get put into this timeless space. Um, One of the other big things along with Bertha that gets sort of both looked at from that perspective of what Charlotte Bronte originally intended and was talking about and then is also brought to today and compared to what our standards today would be. Mm. Jane's feminism and Jane as a feminist character and icon is something that people talk a lot about. Um, and I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on that, because you mentioned Bertha as this character that feminists look at and go, you locked her in an attic. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. And if someone was doing that today, I'd be real mad. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely not a, not okay now. <laughs> um, but I think there's a lot of complexities with Jane's character too. And what is very clearly an incredibly feminist text for 1847. And still some of those themes hold true as feminism today. And then some of them, maybe not the most feminist choices. And I'm curious as to what your sort of thoughts are on on Jane as a character in that kind of dual light. Obviously, feminism has progressed a lot from, you know, back then to now. Thank goodness. Yes, definitely. And, you know, at that time, simply saying that a woman has feelings equal to a man was, you know, probably very controversial. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's where Jane Eyre is at. And the fact that that Jane is, is speaking to the reader and sharing her thoughts and feelings in a way that is maybe thought of as unfeminine um Mm -hmm. but valid very valid and and maybe giving people or men uh, the kind of viewpoint that this is this is true for all women i think that that's very important to think about when Mm -hmm. you know you look at janus as a a feminist icon even though ultimately seems that romantic love is the goal of her life or the Mm -hmm. reward when you know obviously woman a woman should be more fulfilled than that for Jane you know was she she really she really didn't have much as a mm-hmm. child she was treated terribly uh, for her to find love and also independence and uh, mm-hmm. family at the end it's just it's a it's a great character arc for her and mm-hmm. shows that a woman deserves all of these things yeah. uh, that's 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 kind of my take on how inspiring I find this book to be yeah. And, and I think that that's such a great summary of of sort of those joys of Jane and her the the struggle of that book cuz I think you know um and anyone who's listening hearing my thoughts on Jane Eyre for the first time I struggle with that childhood. I think it's really great <laughs> character development, but it is a yeah. hard time. And so it the the happy ending really she deserves that. She's yes. been through so much, our girl. Yeah. It's like, you know, sure, Mr. Rochester could have treated her a little better, Should could have mm-hmm. not lied to her, but obviously <laughs> they still love each other very much. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that's who she wants in the end and not Sinjin Rivers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what a plain, plain dry toast of a man. Um, <laughs> so true. <laughs> one of the things that I'm really curious about, because I... 
this is an experience that I've had. And I think anyone who's researched Jane Eyre the way that I have probably has also experienced this. I search a lot of deep cut things about Jane Eyre. I'm looking for all the different adaptions. We're trying to watch all the adaptions on my other podcast. So yes, you're doing, you're doing good work there. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying real hard. Um, and I think the only, lots of times people will say like, I watch every adaption of Jane Eyre. And my response is always, no, you haven't. <laughs> the only person that I would hear that from and be like, you've definitely watched more than me is you. Um <laughs> Because every time that I am searching for something, the number of times I've stumbled across something and been like, this is a cool source. I should go see if they have other things. It turns out you're the author of all oh, of it. Really? And you wrote all of the authority on the internet for Jane Eyre always oh. comes back to you somehow. So I'm, I'm curious about kind of what all the different ways you share Jane Eyre with people mm. through your different blogs and different things and why you kind of choose to, to do that. What what kind of made you go, I love this thing. I want to share this thing with people and find more people who love this thing. You know, going back to when I read the book in high school and then I, I watched adaptations, I think what really started it off um, was when I when I got to college, you know, I had seen all the adaptations that were very easily defined. So there's, you know, the, the major film versions and the 1983 miniseries. Uh, those are really easy to find. So when I got to college and I discovered that there was another miniseries that was made in 1973 um, that starred Sorka Cusack and Michael Jaston, I found that I found someone online who had a copy uh, that they had burned uh, from watching it on TV back in like the 70s. They burned it to DVD and they were offering it to people because you couldn't buy this uh, commercially. Now you can. So if anyone wants to check it out. But um, so yes, yeah, so I, I found the person's uh, information. I asked them for a copy, and you know, in that interim of time between them sending it to me and me watching it all in one day, I was really curious about what you know, who are these people, who are these actors, what did it, what did it even look like? And I could find nothing. Like there's nothing on the on the internet about it. So when I got the adaptation, and I really, really fell in love with it. I decided that I wanted to put more information on the web. I created a website, which I had to learn how to do because I didn't know how to do it. I, I had a blog at that time, which I kind of just used. And I, I found other people who liked Jane Eyre, and I would talk to them about it. And so I, I guess that also inspired me to kind of put more information out there. So I created the website at... Um, and then from that website, I thought, well, actually, I've seen all these different adaptations. I want to make another website just about all the adaptations that I've seen and put up pictures and like, cast lists and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah. And then once I did that, you know what? That was also so that was when I was in college and Facebook was barely becoming a thing. And at that time, too, you can only have uh, Facebook if you're a college student. So that's why I created the Facebook page that, you know, and only people from my college, which was UC Davis, um, they were the only ones who were able to join it. And then when it opened up, then I started getting a lot more people joining, which was really nice. And I think maybe because it was one of the first kind of Janer communities on Facebook that were out there. So, uh, yeah. So then and then from that, I, you know, I, I had that other blog and I was like, well, let me just kind of turn it into Jane Eyre blog because that's what I really like to talk about so <laughs> that's kind of how it went yeah I think that's so wonderful and it's such a great example of the best version of the internet right like oh, yeah we all know there's dark sides of the internet we're not going to talk about those right now <laughs> but I think the best version of the internet and this really special thing that um people who get really excited about something I mean, it's so easy now. It's so at our fingertips now to go find mm. a bunch of other people who like the thing um, that it's easy to forget that that was something that had to be created. And I think that's the reason why so much of your stuff is still sort of the authority on Jane Eyre stuff, because oh. A, you researched it well. So I've never I've yet to find a fact on your blog that was contradicted anywhere. So oh. that's that's <laughs> fantastic. Very trustworthy. Um, and then two is that 
you you noticed that this was missing and you created that and you then created this community of people and found that other people were as excited as you. And it's the, that's the joy of the internet, right? Is finding a bunch of people who are also really passionate about this thing that you are, who you wouldn't stumble across on the street because you're not walking up to strangers going, Jane Eyre, do you like it? <laughs> Wearing a big t-shirt emblazoned. Talk to me if you love Jane Eyre. <laughs> yes, which I do, but ev- only every other Sunday and people don't like it in my town. <laughs> yeah, it's very true because I feel like there's, I mean, I can't think of actually one person that I've actually met who have told me has told me, oh yeah, I love Jane Eyre. It's just, it's just people on the internet that I mm-hmm. can find that. And it's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been, it's lovely to hear that you, you find my, my, all of that information helpful and that it seems to be pervading different corners of the Jane Eyre internet. <laughs> yes. Which I have been on a few different corners of the internet and one of the most overwhelmingly positive spaces is the Jane Eyre internet. I think so too. Yeah. (laughs) We started our podcast knowing almost nothing. (laughs) And I think that's pretty clear from our first few episodes. And we sort of stumbled into this group of people where we were like, oh my God, you guys all really love Jane Eyre. Um, and it was through this like infectious enthusiasm and incredibly warm welcome to two goobers who didn't know what we were talking about. Um, and I think that speaks to the community that you created around this thing that you love because you are definitely like the founder and creator of, of this group and this group of really positive humans. Oh, that's so, that's so kind to hear. It's also strange to hear, but yeah, (laughs) it's very nice. I'm sure it's, it's hard to see from the inside. Um, but I think from the outside, it's, it's very clear to me that that is, um, this, and I also think, I think there's parts of the story of Jane Eyre too, that lend itself to that, where there is this moral, it's a conversation around morality and it's anyone who sees it as black and white is misreading the story. It's a very Mm. gray story. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity to see things from multiple perspectives where a lot of the communities on the internet don't do that. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of opinions out there, a lot of different takes (laughs) on just anything. It's, it's really interesting Mm -hmm. to, to kind of, you know, I feel like you fall into a certain camp of like, you know, which adaptation you like, or, Mm -hmm. you know, is one that I find interesting is the conversation of like, is Rochester handsome (laughs) <laughs> where you know clearly in the book yeah she says no that he's not and yeah. people still say that maybe rochester wasn't handsome at that time but you know the tastes in male beauty were different which mm-hmm. i feel like well i think charlotte bronte really meant for her for her protagonist to just not be appealing visually <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um which that is probably the biggest flaw in all these adaptions they keep ha- casting ridiculously attractive men to play Rochester. You well, can't yeah, look that's... at Timothy Dalton and Michael Fassbender and be like, ugh, uggos. <laughs> yeah, Jane, what are you talking about? <laughs> so speaking of all the different adaptions, you mentioned the 83 one being special to you and the 73 I know is is particularly special to you. Uh-huh. What are kind of some of your, your favorite adaptations of Jane Eyre and what makes them? I feel like I could do a whole ranking of like, this is the best. <laughs> this is also really good, but I'm yeah. down for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, no, 1973 is my favorite. And I feel that the best adaptations are the ones that are most true to the novel. I love the fidelity to the script mm-hmm. and the characters, you know, that there's a reason why we love this story. And I really like how the 1973 brings it to life and sort of captures you know these different like there's just such a a great attention to detail in that in that Mm -hmm. version the 1983 adaptation with um zila clark and timothy dalton that's also like very close to the novel very good adaptation personal favorite you know it's hard to when you get to the films because obviously they don't have the time to Mm -hmm. show everything that's in the book so you have to cut stuff and it, it gets a little chopped up but the 2011 film really stands out to me. Like after all these years, I feel like of watching Jane Eyre adaptations and thinking, oh, you know, it's really hard to do two hour Jane Eyre. I thought they did mm. such a great job. And 
I thought Mia Wasikowska as Jane was just incredible. Like she's my favorite Jane. Yeah. Just how she, I don't know, exuded the personality. Mm-hmm. That ability to be the combination of young and innocent and yet strong in the way that Jane is strong mm-hmm. is so hard to do. And I yeah. also, I agree. I think she nailed it. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it helps that she was actually young because I know a lot of Jane mm-hmm. actresses, you know, they get up there a little age and, you know, obviously an actress can act anything, but it does help, mm-hmm. I feel like, to see that Jane is really young in the story and she's experiencing a lot of things for the first time. And that helps when you understand how she's dealing with everything. And then in the end, you know, you feel really great about how she ends up. You mentioned some of the things, obviously, you like true to the book. That's mm-hmm. that's great. What do you think some of the adaptions have maybe missed? Like what makes it a, a not great adaption? And feel free to name names. <laughs> <laughs> Syrian Hines. Oh, I, d- I don't you poor like Syrian You missed. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Syrian Hines was in a 1997 TV movie. He was so close and he just really <laughs> whiffed it there for the last 45 minutes of the movie. Yeah, I think I think it was it's more personal now because I don't know, there's a there's a there's an interview that he gave oh, for really? Rochester where his take on Rochester was basically he's a trash uh, man and <laughs> I was just like okay well you don't clearly don't get the character and you don't care to so <laughs> I feel like that informed his uh, portrayal but anyways I know a lot of people still I mean, like I have to version. go find this now I have to go find <laughs> that interview and watch it now so I, will, I will send it to you <laughs> oh my god thank you yes. <laughs> That's amazing. See, this is what you you're the you're the expert. You're I usually I I talk on this show about the fact that I don't expect people to be experts. I expect them to be enthusiasts. Um, and I think you're both things. Um, I have a lot of years to to just <laughs> peruse the internet for these things. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So Syrian Hines, and what for those who maybe haven't, and honestly, maybe shouldn't. Um, if you're not going to watch them all, maybe it's one to skip. So it, he clearly he didn't like the character of Rochester. He thinks he's not the not the best of, of folks. Yeah. What about his performance? Do you think missed? And what was it that he missed about Rochester? Well, you know, you, you want Jane to be happy uh, with a man who loves her, and from Syrian Hines' portrayal, he seemed a lot uh, a lot more angry, and uh, the way that he portrayed it didn't didn't have that tenderness of feeling. You know that I I mm-hmm. think he should. You should have also mixed in a little bit with the anger. It just felt more manipulative, I think, because you don't get the sense that he loves her and that he wants her to stay with him, uh, you know, despite everything, because he will absolutely take care of her and he will always think about her first, which is something that I I tend to think of as being an indication that this is a good Rochester when you know, know, despite everything that he's done, he really does love her and He's going to, you know, he's going to treat her like a queen, basically. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I want to hear more about other things that you dislike, but I want to specifically compare that to your favorite portrayal, which is (laughs) done by, I think of in my head, your close personal friend, Michael Jason. Because, and so talk a little bit about his performance and then uh, how you guys became probably best friends would be the right way to describe it. <laughs> I could, I could uh, subscribe to that. Um, no. So, yeah. So, you know, I did watch the 1973 adaptation in college. This was the one that, you know, wasn't available anywhere. And I was able to find someone who sent me a copy and I just became uh, obsessed. And just all these different moments that I just love the way certain lines were delivered and the way certain scenes were portrayed. So I would watch those over and over again. And over time, it, I realized, you know, I really like Michael Jason's work. Like, I think he was a standout performance in this uh, adaptation. So I would go and watch more of his stuff. And, you know, there's a movie he did in 1970 called Nicholas and Alexandra. It was about the czars uh, in Russia. And oh, cool. um, he played Nicholas, Tsar Nicholas. And if you compare his Rochester to that performance as Tsar Nicholas, just polar opposites. You know, Tsar Nicholas is, mm-hmm. is, has a lot of weakness sort of in the way that he's ruling um, Russia and makes a lot of mistakes. And his 
kind of sort of his demeanor is subservient sort of to his wife. And it's just, I don't know, it was like in, in a great comparison um, and showcase of like Michael Jason's performance and his acting abilities. So from then on, I just kind of pick up everything that kind of he made. Um, he was also in Doctor Who. So I started getting into Doctor Who. And then now that I learned how to make a website, I thought, well, there's not much about Michael Jason on the web. So I will create one for his work and put up everything I kind of find uh, about him. And, you know, that, that, that was for several years. I had that website going. I still have it going. But uh, eventually, at some point, uh, someone related to him, which actually later I found out was his daughter, uh, found the website mm-hmm. and showed it to him. And I got an email from him and he's he's basically thanking me for the website and he's very appreciative. And uh, that was that for a few months. And then I happened to take a flight uh, to visit a friend in Poland and the, the layover was in London. So from London to Germany, he was on my flight. So oh we... my god, <laughs> that's amazing! Right, and I mean, this is just a total coincidence. Like we landed in Germany, I get up to get like get my luggage down, and I look over and I see him, and I'm just in shock. <laughs> I can't oh believe it because it's just what are the odds? And um, so he's actually filming something in Germany, so that's why he was there. And so we we you know kind of get off the plane, and I go up to him and I say, "I'm a big fan." And he said, um, oh, actually, I also said I have a website for him. And he said, oh, there's a woman in uh, America who has a website for me. And I'm like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so he was shocked, too, because, you know, obviously it's, yeah. it's such a coincidence. And then, um, you know, again, he was so appreciative about the website that he said, no, you know, next time you're in London, let's I'll, t- I'll treat you to a lunch or something. So. Next time I was in London, (laughs) I sent him an email and he met up with me. And then it's sort of been something that we'll do. Like if I ever go to England, I I actually got to went to England for my honeymoon with my husband. So we met up with him and and we had a nice dinner uh, or a nice lunch with his wife as well. And it's just it's just so nice to be able to talk to him about these things, you know, talk to him about his role as Rochester. We actually recorded a podcast episode of Jane Eyre Files uh, interviewing him because he was here in, in Los Angeles for a Doctor Who convention. So that was just incredible experience. I was mostly kidding when I said you guys were best friends because I only <laughs> knew about the podcast episode and I was like, oh. <laughs> oh my God, that's so amazing. Oh, that fills me so much joy. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, Jane Eyre just in many different ways has brought me so much joy <laughs> yeah. Just meeting people and then being able to talk to Michael Jason about it. It's fun. Yeah. Well that, what a little sweetie then that like he, I can't, that's like so nice. Both oh, of yeah. you guys are so nice. Oh. <laughs> Ugh, just the nicest folks. Yeah. He's absolutely, he's, he's great to talk to. He's, he's very outgoing. Like he'll always like talk to people if you come up to him and, and you recognize him. He's, he's always happy to talk to people. Oh, that's so amazing. I'm going to, I'm just reeling from how much joy that brought me to hear this <laughs> lovely story of this sweet man. I think we talked we were talking about good and bad versions of Jane Eyre and so obviously we talked about Siri and Hines not really hitting it are there other ways that you feel like people misinterpret this story other versions that you're like close but no or like you maybe missed the whole point yeah (laughs) I think it's so easy to focus on Jane Eyre as as a romance and on Rochester, really. Like, I feel like there's even mm-hmm. like DVD covers of Jane. It says Jane Eyre and it's Mr. Rochester, like front and center, just a huge picture of him where it's just like, I get it. Like Rochester is a very compelling character and he's dynamic, but you know, it's, it is Jane's story. And when you focus mm-hmm. on Jane as, you know, someone, you know, sort of audience surrogate where, you know, you want to experience the things that she's experiencing. Then I think that's when, an adaptation gets it right of like focusing yeah. on Jane, especially since yeah. it's it's difficult. I know because she's, she's so internal with her emotions. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Cause it's easy to think of Jane Eyre just as this romance and there's so much in that and it's so compelling. And I think 
it's one of the reasons people really fall in love with it and kind of find their way into it. Mm-hmm. But especially if you read the book, Jane is such an incredible character who deserves to have all of those sides of her really seen. Yeah. And so it's it's too easy to get lost in Rochester and his gigantic personality. <laughs> Very true. Do you find the adaptations more compelling now that you know a little bit more about the story in the books? That's such an interesting question, which is great that you're flipping this on me. <laughs> um, but I, I think I do. I find more depth in it. I don't know that I would have been able to make it through the childhood if I hadn't, if I didn't know the story and didn't know where it was going. You mean in the book? In the book. Oh, I don't, right, right. I think the childhood is so incredibly done and like mm-hmm. so compelling. And the emotion in this story is so well done. Like you really feel it while you're reading that. Yeah, absolutely. I would have, it would have just bummed me out and too, too hard if I didn't know where it was going. <laughs> yeah. Been- it, it takes a while <laughs> for Jade to get something out of life. <laughs> And you and you miss some of those, like, the highlights for me in the story are, like, seeing these, like, seeds that are planted that then kind of come to fruition later. I think if I'd been reading it in, like, a high school class where I was being guided through it, I maybe could have done it. Mm-hmm. But reading it on my own, and this is me personally, I think lots of people would love it. I'm, I'm curious as to, we often talk, so again, for those who maybe don't listen to my other podcast earbuds, me and my co-host didn't read the book before we started a podcast about Jane Eyre because we just went, this will be fun. And it was. Yeah. (laughs) We've talked a lot about the fact that for us, the movies and TV shows and all of that were sort of our way in. And then we get this amazing experience of delving into the text and kind of seeing where they're coming from and all of those layers that of this story that we get to enjoy because we have this foundation that we've done with watching these different adaptions. Yeah, that makes but sense. But I'm curious as to what you would somebody coming in fresh who at this point has had the spo- story ugh, story spoiled. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what what how would you like recommend when you talk to somebody and they're like, oh Jane Eyre, like tell me about that. How should I get into it? How do you recommend that they go about it? Well, I I do want to stress that, I, again, I, I, I love for someone to read the book first, but I want them to like the story, too. So mm-hmm. if the best way for them to get into the story is adaptations, that's great, because I, I want them to really appreciate the story. But obviously, if they're sort of a reader and they can stand, because mm-hmm. it's, it's a long book, <laughs> if they can stand it, then I recommend reading the book. But if they can't or they're not inclined then let's let's throw out a movie let's i'll watch it with you <laughs> do you do like if if a friend is like listen i'm never gonna get through the book it's she's a hefty boy and i just can't do it if they're if they're not gonna do the book and they're not gonna do the 73 tv show yeah. because they just want to really tie your hands they don't have five hours that's weird <laughs> <laughs> they're not just gonna spend their two days watching that or just a day that's really intense recommend which movie do you recommend that they watch as their very first one uh, well my personal favorite is the 2011 mm-hmm. mia wasikowska michael fassbender i feel like it captures the novel really well but i also think that it's very internal so it's, it's almost like if you read the story you can follow it better because you know what jane is yeah. feeling for a movie version that's just fun to watch, I feel like the 1943 Joan Fontaine Orson Welles because mm-hmm. it's dramatic and, you know, it's black and white. And I know that kind of turns people off, too. But I think it's just a really good starting point. Yeah. If you love classic movies, it's just a fantastic classic movie as well. Yeah. And, it, and the changes that they made to the story aren't too bad. <laughs> yeah. I have some very specific criticisms, but we don't want to turn this into Lillian <laughs> ranting about her specific criticisms because that'll be another hour and people don't have time for that. <laughs> well, I think you would recommend the 1970 adaptation? That, I don't know that I would recommend it as a way in, oh, okay. but I I just loved it as a version of Jane Eyre. Right. Um, I think it polished off some of the pieces that I get frustrated with in the story. If you're a purist, which you are, I'm cu- I'm actually, now that I've got you here trapped on my <laughs> podcast, um, I loved it. I'm very curious as to what you think of the 1970 version with George C. Scott and Susanna York. You know, it's, it's a, it's a fine adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> that was so generous of you. 
<laughs> I think it's really interesting to think of that one. You know, when you think of just the flow, this, just sort of the history of Jane adaptations, that is really the first one that really attempts to adapt the novel where, you know, Orson Welles, they kind of just picked apart, oh, this is the interesting part, so let's just film this. Whereas the 1971 really goes through it. And I really mm-hmm. respect that about that because I think it's very poetic in the way that it shows the story. I don't really think Susanna York was the right fit for Jane or George C. Scott either. So it's like, it's not my favorite, but. Susanna York is at least as far as I'm aware, you actually probably would know. So correct me if I'm wrong. I think she's the oldest Jane actress. I think so. She was 30 when she played the character. Yeah, that sounds Um, right. Or just over 30. Jane is supposed to be 19. Yeah, 18, 19. I think they make it clear in the 1970 adaptation. They never refer to her age. They never refer to how long she's been at Lowood. <laughs> yeah. And they take a lot of the things out that you watch a 19-year-old do, and you're like, oof, that is a teenage move. Yeah, absolutely. That's a choice a teenager would make. And they go, you can't have a 30-year-old woman do that. She'll look <laughs> dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel, too, sometimes about what, like, just in general, don't don't cast an older woman as Jane. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of beautiful... That's, that's the thing that I love about the different adaptations is the ways that it can interpret this similar kind of heart of a story and have a slightly different spin on it and a slightly different way to tell the story. Yeah. Which is interesting because I know... I think of the two of us, I would describe you as much more of a purist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I... I- I find it interesting to see what they do um, when they mm-hmm. try to reinterpret or try to introduce new ways to tell the story. But I appreciate it more when it's closer to the book. And I, you know, personally just like it more. I should say again, 2011 film, you know, they, they kind of, the you start with Jane leaving Thornfield, mm-hmm. which I think is a great idea, actually. It does really kind of tie everything together really well. So you're not just kind of, plopped into this whole storyline towards the end of the film that they have to kind of rush through and also creates a lot of tension and I feel like I'm a purist but I can understand certain mm-hmm. <laughs> changes to the story and appreciate well, them sometimes. And it's fine to be a purist if that's your yeah. preference, that's your preference <laughs> like the things you like <laughs> Thank you Lillian <laughs> You're welcome, you did actually need my permission and now that you have I it I feel much better now, yes <laughs> There you go. You're welcome. Things that I'm very curious about is one of the things that we talk about and some other um, spaces have talked about is how much of Rochester's character and Jane's Jane's character a little less so because we're hearing it from her story from her perspective. Mm-hmm. But in the book, how much of some of these key points are left up for interpretation? Um, and I'm curious as to if you have strong opinions from kind of looking through the book as to what Charlotte Bronte's intention were with those things or if you feel like she did that very intentionally and was trying to leave those open that's a really interesting point I had actually thought if if Charlotte Bronte wanted to leave things open I think that I have you know had this book in my head for a long time so you know I like to consider what Charlotte Bronte would have thought obviously how how can I know that sort of interpretations of Rochester through people that Charlotte Bronte knew and then you think oh okay she writing this character because of this person that she you know a a teacher that she was in love with in um, Brussels who had sort of the same kind of sardonic uh, commanding sort of influence on her and so she found it fun to write that in Rochester I feel that her version of Rochester is very solid, I guess. I, th- I think she, she, mm. she knew who she who she wanted to portray and whether or not that came across to everybody or it just comes across differently to other people, obviously, that you can't control that. You kind of mentioned that you have this solid idea of Rochester and do you see Rochester as like a really particular way? Like, do you see, do you read and interpret his lines very specifically? I think... I think that now it is because, again, I've watched so much, I've read so yeah. much that it is very particular in my head, the way that he will even speak lines, I think. Oh, also mm. because of, um, de- definitely because of Michael Jason's interpretation, that does that, <laughs> stick in my head. But yeah, I think when our, on our Jane Eyre Files podcast, there'll be times when my husband, Mike, will 
introduce a thought or say something about, you know, Rochester's motivations where to me, like there was no question of his motivations where, you know, I guess if I was reading this cold, I'd be like, oh yeah, okay. Maybe we don't know, you know, why he's paying attention to Blanche Ingram. Whereas I know, Mm -hmm. oh, he's clearly very much in love with Jane Mm -hmm. and there's no, he has no interest in Blanche and he just wants to use her to make Jane jealous. So, you know, that seems that seems odd to me that it's not at very clear, but I've definitely set in my ways a bit in how I, <laughs> in how I read the books. Which is lovely. I love it. <laughs> that you can answer some questions for me then, because there's a few spaces that I know are sort of controversial, questionable moments. Uh, uh-huh. When do you think Rochester falls in love with Jane? I think there's a moment when you know, Jane is sort of walking around uh, Thornfield and Rochester is like kind of watching her. <laughs> this is something he shares. It's in... not, it's normal. It's not creepy at all, guys. <laughs> you know, because he's, he just wants to make sure she's a good employee. Um, so there, that when he starts to get a sense of her character. So this is like before he really starts talking to her. I feel like he's starting mm-hmm. to have feelings, you know, yeah. that she's different than other women that he's he's met or talked to in the past and so when he really falls for her I, I feel definitely by the time she saves him uh, from the fire yeah. that he's in love with her somewhere in that point yeah yeah <laughs> that's that's I also felt like I, I personally also think it's a fire. Some people say it's like, some people do interpret it as like when Blanche Ingram is there, it's like maybe he wants her, maybe he doesn't. Oh, like, no. I'm yeah, I think it's later. I mean, I think it's earlier than that. I think he's fully in love with her at that point. But <laughs> okay, here's another one. And this one, this is one that matters a lot to me. Do you think, do you think Mrs. Fairfax knows about, oh. about Bertha? Do you think I don't. Because I think she's just. I She's th- just a little bean, right? Yeah, that's that's too mean to think that that she knows that Mr. Rochester is married. Like she could know yeah. that someone's up there and that someone's like sick or taking being taken okay. care of. But I think that Mrs. Fairfax doesn't know that he's married because that would be really terrible for Jane. Like just tell her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jane. I I love a Mrs. Fairfax. She's really she's really kind and nice and motherly. <laughs> Do you think Adele is Rochester's daughter? I don't. <laughs> Neither do I. Okay, good. Yes, I think that Mr. Rochester is pretty clear to say that this is Celine's other other uh, child. Yeah. And Piper, who's not here but will be the voice for it anyway, she does think that there's a really solid chance that Adele is Rochester's daughter. And oh. I'm like, <laughs> I like. I think you can read it either way. I think it's a possibility. I don't think so. And it's just us here, so we win. <laughs> <laughs> We figured it out. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness. Um, it's only, it's been a hundred plus years, but between the two of us, we figured it out. We're now the authority. And I think everyone can acknowledge that. <laughs> thank you. Yes. One of the things you mentioned up top when you were talking about why Jane Eyre is so special to you is that feeling of connection with Jane as, as an introvert, as a book lover. What sort of are some of the pieces of Jane that you feel you relate to most that has made this story kind of stay special for you? And does it feel different looking at her now versus when you first read it when you were 15? I think my gut is that it hasn't really changed where I still Mm. really appreciate her romance. You know, I think what has changed is that I, I appreciate the other parts of the book more than the romance now where before I was really focused on Jane and Rochester and the Thornfield section where now, you know, on our podcast, Jane and Files, you know, we're going through the book chapter by chapter. And now we're towards the end of the chapter, towards the end of the novel with Sinjin Rivers and Jane is away Mm -hmm. from Rochester. And you, you really have more of an appreciation of that time too, of like what that means for Jane to kind of get clarity, I guess, in her thoughts and, um, especially yeah. in how she's dealing with her life. But I really appreciate about Jane that she, that her thoughts and her emotions are so internal. As a shy person, you know, I feel sometimes that I can't express myself the way that I want or that people don't see me the way that I think that they see me or something. And there's a sort of that anxiety where, you know, you read something like Jane Eyre and she has kind of those thoughts or those anxieties about her appearance and she still 
pushes through and she accomplishes so much and she achieves all this, you know, everything that she wants, basically. And I really love seeing female heroine who can achieve that and be shy and, you know, maybe mm-hmm. maybe a little awkward. And she just she's ultimately happy. And I, I love that. Jane, our Jane is happy. That's yeah. so wonderful. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you and I could talk about this for many, many days. Yeah, um, let's do adaptation by adaptation. We're going to have Air Buds yes. Part 2. <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is actually the beginning of an eight-hour podcast, everyone. <laughs> Buckle up. But I just am so thrilled to have you here. It, it genuinely... You were one of the first people I thought of when I was thinking of this podcast because you're just in my head. I was like, that's the kind of person that I want to talk to is someone who's <laughs> this passionate about their thing. Oh, um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for making the time to be here. And for for those of you listening, you're listening to this in the future because I got Charlene to do this before the podcast even launched. So technically <laughs> she agreed to be on something that doesn't exist. <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear the episodes when they come out. I think this is a really exciting <laughs> idea for a con- uh, for a podcast. And- so I mentioned a couple ways that people can find you up top, but if people are looking, where are the ways that people can find you? So my first website was the Enthusiast Guide to Jane Eyre. My handle now is Air Guide. So that's, you know, E-Y-R-E-G-U-I-D-E. And I have that on Instagram and Twitter and also airguide.com, which is sort of my blog, which I don't think I've been posting on there uh, recently, but it, it has a lot of a lot of posts about Jane Eyre mm-hmm. and specific <laughs> things that I thought about about it. So uh, if you find me, especially on Instagram, I'm a lot more active. And also check out our podcast, Jane Eyre Files, if you are wanting to hear more about the story, because we really do analysis and discussions about every chapter. Yeah, so it's you and your husband going through chapter by chapter, right? Mm-hmm. That was his first time reading it, right? Or has had he read it before? Love him for this. He read it when he met me, because I love it so Cute. much. <laughs> and Aww. it was great to talk to him about it. And I kind of wanted to bring that same energy to the podcast. And so this is basically a second time reading it. Well, again, thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate it. Um, we will, of course, have all of that information in the episode description for anyone looking for that. Um, you can find Care So Much Pod across all social channels. So we're on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and YouTube and every, just everywhere on the internet. It's all care so much. Um, you can email at care so much pod at gmail.com. And if you're out there and there's something you care about a lot and you don't think anybody else cares, just know that I do. I care so much 